When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on people laughing aloud at their phones, inviting someone who's separated but not divorced to a wedding, sending thank yous for newborn gifts, and responding to questions about your engagement ring. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about addressing unsightly objects in the neighborhood. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we explore Emily Post in the garden. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And these are the longest days of the year. <laughs> they are. And they are, for the for both of us, these are some of our favorite days. We love this. I'm a big, I'm a big solstice person at both, both ends, to be honest. I know. We, we, we talk about it about twice a year. But this one's a little bittersweet. It's <laughs> awesome. And it's all downhill from here. But I know, right? The winter one is kind of miserable, but at least you're looking forward to something. It's true. No, it's true. But what I love about summer is that I have so many good solstice memories. Last year, my friend Philip Wolf was in town. He's a friend that I met through uh, doing research on the Higher Etiquette book. And it's it, there have been solstice parties. There have been rituals, good intentions set. And it's it's all based around this longest day of sunlight, this day where we get the most chance to be out in this bright, bright, beautiful sun. Not that we don't love the moon, but like it's a thing. And people like I've always loved cousin that you also love the solstice as much as I do. Well, if not, maybe more. <laughs> when you talk about the the solstices that you remember, one of the reasons I remember it so well is that our grandfather poppy bill post loved the solstices and it was a point of connection for him and my father his son-in-law so i kind of watched that in-law relationship find these like little turning points my father used to send a, a winter solstice bouquet that was always out during the holidays like a centerpiece and then the summer was usually some sort of opportunity for everybody to get together but i very much think of the, those solstice gatherings those early solstice gatherings that kind of planted the the celestial event in my psyche as really coming from poppy and, and my <laughs> father yeah oh that's so nice i love that memory but the summer is really just starting there's a few other things going on right now and 
they're kind of etiquette related. I might say other things going on in, in your and my lives. I've got a sister-in-law who's planning a wedding right now and ah, yes. it is looking very different than the wedding she was initially planning and I find myself dispensing a lot of etiquette advice among very close family right now because it's not easy this this thing that they're trying to do. Uh, it is not easy, and I can't imagine how brides are are and their and their families, especially those closely involved in in planning and, and wedding planners themselves, balancing just both a lot of the stress from just the current climate we have. I feel like you have to now say across the board, as well as the the stress that comes from planning a wedding. You and I both know, and, and you've heard us talk about it on the show, audience, that th weddings are so stressful. And even the most organized, level-headed person can get just completely frayed <laughs> when it comes to wedding, worrying about things you'd never think they would worry about or, you know, reacting in ways that you would never expect them to react. And I, I can just imagine that that is heightened right now for many, many, many people who are in the wedding planning process. I have so much sympathy for pretty much everything that you just described. It's the details, but it's also all of those emotions that are layered on top of those details. And sort of teasing those things apart, figuring out when you're talking about the thing and when you're talking about all of the emotions that the thing comes wrapped in is is not always easy. And <laughs> I've appreciated having some experience, having some of these conversations that I've had with you over the last week where I've been employing a lot of the advice that I hear you dispense. And as we get to the intro this week, I wouldn't want to let it go by without thanking you just a little bit and acknowledging that it's been helpful. Oh, thanks, cuz. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you think so. I feel like you having been through weddings probably have a really good perspective. <laughs> um, but I, I thank you. I appreciate that. Well, do you think that maybe we should continue on dispensing etiquette advice and do so through answering some questions? Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled, Laughing Out Loud, Literally. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. When someone laughs at their phone and doesn't say what they're laughing at, should you ask them or carry on as if it didn't happen? Thanks. Anon. I want to know. I want to know what's so funny. Please, please, please tell me. (laughs) I know. Okay, so I feel like the start of this question should be, If you are looking at your phone among other people and you laugh and it's noticed, by all means, fill everyone else in if you can or let them know. Sorry, excuse me. I didn't mean to be distracted. All right. Because then you don't put the other people in the position of having to ask. Right. I know. And it's the the ask that gives me a a moment of pause where I, I say to myself, it kind of depends. I would be curious no matter what. And if I was sitting there with you and you laughed at something that came in on your phone, I would in a heartbeat say, what's going on? What's so funny? Do tell. Something like that. Yeah, you do. I mean, you totally do. Yeah. Often the way you do it is you say, what you got? What you got? What you got over there? That's what you say. What you got? And it's always like that many. What you got? What you got? What you got over there? (laughs) Here's the problem. If you were in a situation where someone else maybe shouldn't have been on their phone in the first place. And by asking them after they laugh, exclaim, whatever, react, you're effectively pointing out that their attention is elsewhere. There's the the hintest of a chance that it might be calling someone out for not paying attention or being present the way they should be present. I just offer that as a caution. Generally speaking, I want to share that mirth in particular but there, there is one sort of other thing I might be thinking about on sort of a high-level etiquette concept plane. I think that that tone is, is really important. So, when I, so my answer to this question was it, it depends, you know, what's, what's the situation and how are you saying it? So if the situation is, you know, among friends, casual group, someone's not like in the middle of telling a really difficult or intense story, you know what I mean? Like, I think no problem. Ask. If they don't want to share, they'll let you know. It'll be casual. You'll move on. Your relationship is probably close enough for that. But I was imagining if you were in a business situation and and maybe it was even casual, you know, maybe just among colleagues, people are talking and, you know, you look at your phone, you're all at the lunch table or something like that. 
not really a scene happening right now, but <laughs> in days, days of old. But you could see someone just choosing to ignore it, just not getting into it with someone, not trying to call it out. Just like this isn't this isn't a high stakes enough hangout to be worried about that kind of an etiquette faux pas, you know. But then I wondered about the the person who wants to actually put notice on the rudeness. And that sounds more like, oh, um, I'm sorry, did you need to take that? You know, or like, oh, oh, um, it's okay, by all means, if you need to go pay attention to that, for, for sure. It seems funny. Like, oh, just, yeah, it just, to me, it has yuck written all over it, you know? And we all have that desire to, like, call out a rudeness like that, but... I think the the more you can not not feed that urge, not not like lean into it. I think there are times when you can use moments of teaching differently than that, you know. Hey cuz, I couldn't agree more. This happens in such a moment. It's such a quick question and yet it's so rich. I'm really glad that Anon sent it our way and I hope that this answer helps. Our next question is titled, Separated But Not Divorced. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your podcast. I look forward to it every week and appreciate the light that it brings to my world in these crazy times. My fiancé and I are preparing our Save the Dates, and I'm unsure how we should address a cousin of my fiancé's. She has been separated from her husband for about six months and has moved back in with her parents. We do not know if they've begun divorce proceedings. How might we appropriately address her save the date? My understanding is that she should receive one separate from her parents, as she is an adult and we are extending a guest invitation to her as well. But might we avoid awkwardness by addressing it to the family instead? Thank you for considering my question. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. Shannon. Shannon, that's a great question. And I, I, I like the idea of really trying to think about, you know, how somebody might feel. And I know that can be a hard thing when you're you're guessing at things. I'm curious if you're able to do any family digging at all, just to find out, you know, if one of the questions is, we don't know if they've begun divorce proceedings. Technically, they're still married, even though they're not living together. It might be worth just asking the parents she lives with, if you don't feel like you can ask her directly, what might she prefer? Would she prefer the invite with the husband's name on it? Would she prefer the invite with nobody? You know, I just think sometimes it's okay to kind of feel around and ask if you can get an answer. If you can't seem to get an answer, if you're really not close to this family enough to get an answer, then I would suggest proceeding with addressing a separate invitation, but sending it to the parent's house. I like the idea of putting the cousin and the plus one that you're wanting to give to her on a separate invite from mom and dad. And I think it both identifies her as an adult individual in the house, even though we all know that you can do that via the outer and inner envelopes. We know that that's okay. I just think that this is a nice way when someone's going through a tough transition. It's not like they were really choosing to come home right now. You know, circumstances led to it. Let's make them feel that independence that I think might be helpful now. I agree a thousand percent because I like the idea of treating an adult with autonomy like an adult with autonomy. And 
in particular, this living situation that strikes me as temporary, most likely, is not one where I would say, oh, this is the condi- like the, the general condition that they live under. I, I'm still thinking of her as someone that I would want to get an invitation. I like the idea of talking to the family, getting a sense for how they think that she's going to want to be addressed, or maybe they even have specific direction. And if nobody knows, I think you go with the best information that you have, which probably is the the last name that she was using. And and you do the best you can. It might not be perfect, but most people are going to understand that it's a transitional time and are, are going to be understanding about that. Shannon, we hope that this helps and congratulations on your upcoming wedding. Nobody can just all of a sudden start being nice to others. It takes a while. You have to try real hard and get lots of practice or it's easy to forget to be nice. Our next question is titled, Post-Pregnancy Packages. Hello, my husband and I welcomed our second child, a boy, Liam, into the world last week. Congratulations! Congratulations. Welcome to the world, Liam. (laughs) Many family and friends have been generous and sent gifts for both Liam and our two-year-old daughter. I plan to write thank you notes for each gift, but how much time do I have to send them? Is it rude to make friends who sent us gifts quickly after Liam's arrival wait a few weeks for their thank you note, which I confess I was planning to do mostly for my own sanity? As expected, life is very busy and I am very tired with a newborn, a toddler, and visits from family. Does this give me some extra time to send thank you notes without wading into rude etiquette territory? Any advice is appreciated. Many thanks. Tired mama of two. Dan, Dan, help her out. Help her out. <laughs> I want to ride up and dispense the the sympathy, like um, casting confetti knight or in shining flowers armor. or like a knight in shining armor. Exactly. Like an etiquette knight of, of relief. <laughs> and, and we will talk about the history of chivalry again on this show also. There are reasons that those are images that come to mind. But I'd also like to share some really personal advice, some advice that I got from the grandfather that I mentioned loving the solstice during the intro to this show. He used to say, the best is the enemy of the good. And it was something that was designed to inspire you to go forth and do the best you can and to not let perfection become the impediment to doing something that is worth doing. To good. And it's not that yeah. you shouldn't strive for that perfection. It's not that the, the details don't matter, but it's a recognition of some of the realities that you map out in your very short question and that people are going to understand. It is a really good idea. It is a nice thought. It is appropriate and in accord with all good etiquette to send thank you notes for those gifts that you've received. It's also entirely reasonable to let yourself get a good night's sleep and to tackle them as best you can when you can. And I'm sure that people will appreciate getting them. (laughs) Most definitely. This does not need to be something that you're doing when you are extremely exhausted. It is something that both you and your husband can do. That's one thing, is that it doesn't only have to be on you. And not that that's been suggested, but just just putting it out there that that everybody, I know everybody's tired, but everybody can do the lifting on the cards too. 
And, you know, use technology to your advantage here. Send that quick thank you. You know, your package arrived, you know, can't wait to see what's in it. Or your package arrived, thank you so much, note to follow. You know, something like that is just that quick acknowledgement that at least lets the acknowledgement happen in the timely fashion that you're kind of worried about or that you're talking, you know, that you're saying, oh, is it too long to wait? you know, a couple weeks. It's not too long to wait a couple weeks. Plenty of thank you notes go out like two weeks after the gift or the item uh, has arrived or the favor has been done, things like that. Plenty of them, as you know on this show, go out years later, (laughs) although we know you're trying to avoid that. I would say shoot a text message now or an email now as a quick thank you. If you are able to get someone on the phone, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. And send those cards when you do have the time and you can give them the attention and the gratitude that, that they kind of are, are supposed to have, you know? And take, take care of yourself first right now. This is new, new baby territory. You get, you get some breaks on the social etiquette front. <laughs> I mean, those are the two most important thoughts. One, that it's a genuine and sincere expression of gratitude. And two, that you're taking care of yourself. And figuring out how to work those two things together is... That's the grace. That's the the poise that we're all looking for in life. Good for you for participating in sharing that gratitude and good luck with those little ones. Tired Mama of Two, we hope you get some good sleep. Yes, we do need these simple expressions all the time to show that we are thinking of the other person and showing respect that make up everyday courtesy. Our next question is about a reasonable ring. Hey, Lizzie and Dan, I had a question about engagement rings. My boyfriend and I have decided on a beautiful cubic zirconia ring instead of a diamond for multiple reasons. I live an active lifestyle, work a job where I'm uncomfortable wearing expensive jewelry, and we have other expenses we would like to save up for in the future. My question is how to respond to the inevitable questions of, is it real? And how much did it cost? I've looked at your suggestions on the website regarding larger, expensive rings, but the sample language doesn't feel quite appropriate. I've thought about responses like, it's exactly... I've thought about responses like, it's exactly what I wanted, but I am not sure if this language will help shut down further questions. Thanks for any advice you can provide. I have loved listening to your podcast, and it never ceases to make me think about my interactions and reflect on my own life. Stay well. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for writing in. I I love this question because it gives us a chance to be a little sassy, Dan. Oh, really? <laughs> sometimes, at least I think it does. I, sometimes I think you can get a little playful with answers when people ask what are essentially rude questions, but really common rude questions. They're yes. so common that we kind of don't even they are rude but everyone knows they happen it's like in that territory and i feel like you get to respond i think kind of in kind like i think there's a playfulness you can bring to response so if someone asks you is it real i think you can say something like 
I'll never tell, you know, like you can get playful with it in the moment. And you could go the really bad pun route, you know, of like, how much did it cost? As much as made sense. <laughs> and that's like a bad joke. Intentionally bad. Intentionally not even a good pun. Okay, you know I, I, I mean? have to interrupt Just here for really a minute. I will not let you call that a bad joke or a bad pun. <laughs> that is hysterical. I have not heard that. Oh, that gosh. Is if funny. Dan likes it, guys, you know it's bad. Yeah, it's probably no, that's probably true. You should be funny, running for Dan. the hills that's right like... now. <laughs> Dan's dad humor has gotten worse as he's gotten more of a dad. It's so great. But I do I do think, you know, the, these are things that uh, Peggy Post recommends in her book, not these specific, but in her book, Excuse Me, But I Was Next. And um, it's those kind of quicker answers to some of those more difficult questions or questions that are really awkward um, questions where someone might have forgotten. Oops, that's kind of a rude question to ask, you know. I can think of like, oh, how much did your house cost? Well, as you know, as much as we could afford. And it's that it's a diversion. You're answering, but you're also letting someone know I don't really want to go there. And Anonymous has actually started to do some of that. They've said, it's exactly what I wanted. And that's a good, I feel like that's actually a great line to have in your back pocket, but you might need a few more like it that you need to, you need to have for some of these more specific questions. I like, I'll never tell, or, you know, I, I love the one to how much did it cost? You can say, I actually don't know because it was a gift. And that's a really quick, like, oh, that's right. Why should I know how much my fiance spent on this for me? You know, it's, it just, and that's, a lot of people go halvesies on their ring or buy it themselves. So maybe that's not true for you. Maybe that falls into the category of innocent lie or, or little lie. Um, And you can decide if you want to go there or not, but just things to think about. It's funny because when you mentioned that, maybe not even knowing how much it cost, I, it made me sit up in my chair because it's entirely possible that you wouldn't have any idea. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I, I, I just like the logic of that, the plain senseness of it. it. You also know that while I sit up in my chair straight when I hear that, I wince a little bit at the idea of uh, uh, intentional deception. I, correction. I, I like mm-hmm. the idea yeah. of because this is really not an appropriate question to begin with you don't need to feel bad about let's say obfuscating or disassembling like other ways that you can avoid the topic dodging (laughs) the topic without sort of putting yourself in that position of saying something that's not true or or really deceiving someone not a truth right but i really I, i like those more than i like the ideas that i had coming into this discussion which were for a more earnest response and i was thinking that all of the things that are included in the question are also really reasonable things to say if someone pursues the question that sometimes honesty is the best right. policy are you kidding that's a cubic zirconia do you know how much a diamond that size would cost or I have a really active lifestyle. I didn't want to wear expensive jewelry everywhere. So we went with something that I think looks phenomenal, but I don't worry so much about losing or damaging. And I think those are also things that you could say that someone was going to hear and say, oh, I just got the answer to my question. I think that's exactly it. Trying to hit that sweet spot between what you feel comfortable addressing, what you feel comfortable kind of moving away from, And what you feel comfortable being totally open and honest about. And 
that'll help you anonymous as you move through these conversations. And hopefully they will die down as sort of the the engagement and then the wedding and then you as a married couple sort of are established in folks' lives. I feel like it, it does it is something that, that doesn't it's always around that excitement of the new and the thing just happening where people tend to kind of overstep. Anonymous, congratulations on your engagement and enjoy showing off that new ring. A husband and wife who have learned to give freely to each other and to their family have learned the secret of a happy marriage. That kind of love is not new. But not every man and woman knows where to look for it. And the only place it exists in themselves. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media posts so we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Jillian about episode 301 and the question on personal questions for essential workers. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have some feedback on the question about rude questions regarding pay in a customer service position that was addressed in episode 301. I also work at a small credit union in Massachusetts. I am in lending. I often sit down with members and talk about their finances as it relates to applying for a loan. More than once, I have been asked almost exactly the same questions confused in California described about my pay. It has always seemed well-intentioned on their part, but it is very awkward. I typically respond by saying something like, I am grateful this is a great place to work and they treat us well here. This is true in my case and sounds like it is also true for confused in California. I am not sure if it is the culture of credit unions specifically because they are usually small, like a family-type business, that people feel more comfortable to ask these types of questions. Our credit union has been around for almost 60 years now, and a lot of our members have been with us that long, and now their families are grown and grandkids are now coming to us to buy homes, cars, and do their general banking. If I think back... I would say it is usually a long-term member who has asked me these questions, seemingly trying to gauge how the new CEO, new meaning he's only been there for 30 years, laugh out loud, (laughs) is running the business. Or maybe because I'm asking them personal questions about their finances, they seem to think it opens the door to asking me about mine. I am sure other customer service workers get this question, especially in recent times with asking about the hazard pay but working in the same industry as the question asker made me wonder. I love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Jillian, thank you so much for the feedback and offering us your perspective, having had a lot of experience in this particular field that this question was asked within. It's really helpful to hear. 
I was also curious about the part where Jillian reflected on how the fact that she'd been asking these personal questions and because they were in an environment where they were talking about money and she was exposed to personal information about their finances, if that almost worked the way in conversation that open the door question often works. Oh, we're talking about money now, so it's okay. I can can kind of ask a little bit or share a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really wise thought. I think there's probably something to it. Jillian, thank you so much for the feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week, we're not actually diving into a topic of etiquette, but we are diving into the topic of the etiquette authority in our lives, Emily Post. And because it is so springy out and all of us are getting our thumbs dirty in the dirt planting gardens, we actually thought that this essay... Uh, titled Emily in the Garden would be a good one to share. Dan, tell us a little bit about what it's about. So this was one of a series of essays that I wrote in collaboration with an intern named Catherine Henneman, who spent a summer at the Emily Post Institute, boy, a number of years ago now, that I really enjoyed. And Yeah, I know. Let's not list how many. <laughs> I know, right? They, they've all found a home on their our website because they – tell parts of the Emily Post story that don't always get told unless you're really doing a deep dive into the Laura Claridge biography. And this particular essay on Emily's passion for gardening struck Lizzie and I as appropriate for today. The piece begins with a little intro to each of the essays in the series that I'm going to include, and then we're going to dive right in. Emily Post in the Garden begins. Emily Post, a cultural icon and a household name for countless Americans, remains known today for her timeless advice on entertaining, weddings, and all things etiquette. Yet many of her readers are unaware of the remarkable events that contribute to her own life story. We at the Emily Post Institute believe that the factual accounts and inherited tales of Emily Post as a person should not be forgotten. Our historical Emily Post series will present brief windows into the lesser-known life and work of Emily Post in her contemporary moment. After the publication of Etiquette in 1922, Emily Post quickly became known as a director and authority on the finer points of human interaction. But Emily Post's role as a cultivator was not limited to the field of social life. The gardens of her Martha's Vineyard cottage remain today a living testament to her devotion to the value of subtle details which she demonstrated in her better-known projects on etiquette. As with writing, Emily became deeply and emotionally invested in the process of gardening, her personality and inspiration emerging in the growth of her yard. Gardening was a hobby turned creative endeavor, a process of mourning, a tourist attraction, and above all, a passion that Emily was to pursue for the rest of her life. Emily bought the cottage at 34 Fuller Street in 1926 and spent the next year preparing to remodel the property with one of her two sons, Bruce, with Bruce continuing the family tradition in architecture. The posts had eyes for intelligent design and landscaping. The two developed plans into early 1927, yet Bruce would not see the cottage grow into the vibrant summer retreat it was to become. 
In February of that year, Bruce suffered from stomach pains that rapidly developed into a fatal case of appendicitis. The loss was devastating. After months of overwhelming isolation and grief, Emily began to mourn by wholly devoting herself to her work. One of her new personal assignments was to build the garden at the Fuller Street Cottage. In Bruce's absence, Emily was left as the sole designer of her plot, yet his memory remained an integral part of its development. Her at once aesthetic and functional plans echoed her late son's architectural frame of mind, and with this attention, the newly planted flowers of early spring 1927 began to restore life once again after a bleak winter. Emily's gardening scrapbook reveals the meticulous planning and emotional investment she dedicated to her plot. Beginning in 1927, but continuing years into the project, she would pursue until her own death in 1960. The scrapbook, a hefty tome of thick drawing paper with a spine hand-marked garden book, opens with a blueprint of the property, red ink, and colored pencil designating the various times at which sunlight falls throughout the house and yard, loose letters, informative articles, receipts for seeds, and images of blooming flowers fit between the pages filled with her own notes. Emily tracked the weekly progress of her plants in diary-style entries, demonstrating her excitement for the garden's growth. Clumps of sweet William, thick as fur, double exclamation point. The second half of the book becomes a handmade encyclopedia of flowers complete with color charts and diagrams of arrangements. From these pages, Emily emerges not only as a discerning architect, but also as an attentive artist. I did not know, even though this project was done while I was at the Institute, that Emily's garden was a part of her dealing with her grief. It was certainly a garden that you and I, Dan, grew up playing in and loving, including the garden that you couldn't see from the front of a house, but that was on the inside inside yard of a house. For cut flowers. It's such a, such a beautiful space. Yeah. And to think about that as really being something that she created that, that, that was a process that was about her processing, you know, and moving through something and forward in life. Life really does touch, touch us all, you know, it's, it's you're not you're not immune from losing a child too young or anything just because you write an etiquette book and it's a good reminder that emily is a whole person absolutely and that garden scrapbook which lives in our archives is one of my favorite possessions from her yeah of all of the pictures we have of her it's the the artifact that feels maybe the most personal in some ways because it's it's the thing that she was passionate about, and it just it comes through in the pages, in the hand-drawn pictures and the notes and, and just the way she collected so much that was related to that garden and, and held on to it. Yeah. I really appreciated Catherine Henneman's work, digging into the details and the origins of that garden that you and I both know and think so fondly of, and also her work connecting that garden scrapbook that that is sort of prominent in our archive of her things to a time and a place and a personality in a way that I thought was really well written and beautiful. Dan, thank you so much for sharing. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have a salute from Guy. 
And I like this salute because it definitely involves Italy. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I just wanted to give a salute to the people of Sicily in Italy. We spent four weeks traveling around the island in December and had the most amazing trip. The people were so warm and kind and helpful, and I can't not mention all the amazing food we ate. We had no bad experiences. We felt so welcome and at home there, and we would definitely visit again off-season. We can't recommend Sicily in winter enough. Love and best wishes to you and the awesome etiquette community. Guy. Guy, thank you for this salute. I think this is our first salute to a, I was going to say country, but it's not really a country. Let's say uh, island, autonomous island, uh, semi-autonomous island. <laughs> thank you so much for the salute and for the excellent travel advice. Bravo e grazie. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers on social media or however you love to share your podcasts. You can send us questions, feedbacks, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. We really hope that you'll consider becoming a sustaining member and a big thank you to those of you who already are. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.